Well, again, happy Father's Day. We are blessed in this church family with some wonderful godly men. And they, uh, they do the work. They lead us. They are examples for us. They lead our families. They lead our different ministries. Uh, we are so very blessed with many, many godly men, uh, single men, husbands, fathers, grandfathers, brothers, uncles, it is, uh, and especially great friends. What a blessing you all are. And what a blessing to see and hear about the great works and ministries that this church family is involved in. Uh, uh, Danny has been leading a group going to New Orleans for a long time, and we'll be praying for them as they depart again this year uh, to serve those who so desperately need to see and hear the love and word of Jesus Christ. And they will do that so wonderfully well. And as you saw the pictures of our Young at Heart group and heard a little bit of the history uh, from uh, Stan, uh, that is a wonderful, wonderful group. And our church is extremely blessed because of them and because of all of our wonderful wonderful ministries. I, I have to share a few funnies about Father's Day uh, because it's great. It, it's, the first one is some top reasons why it's great to be a guy. Every once in a while, I'll make that statement to Joyce. It's great to be a guy. And typically, it's because of some frustrating thing that she is experiencing um, that I am pretty much oblivious to. Um, it's great to be a guy. Number one reason, uh, not in any particular order, phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat. <laughs> Today, when your kids or grandkids call you to say happy Father's Day, it'll be, hey, honey, how you doing? Oh, thank you so much. Yes, we love and miss you too. Well, here's your mom. <laughs> it'll be something probably like that. Um, number two, a five-day holiday requires only one suitcase. That's right. Number three, you only need two or three pairs of shoes, period, total. Number four, gray hair and wrinkles only add character to men. No hair is in there somewhere. Some top reasons it's great to be a guy. Number five, we can do our nails during one traffic light. Typically involves more teeth than nail clippers, but that's a whole nother story. Number six, if another guy shows up at a party in the same outfit, you just might become lifelong buddies. I'm not so sure that's the way uh, with the ladies. And then the number seven reason why it's great to be a guy, we get to be dads and papas or granddads or peepaws or whatever you are called. I love this little story. You, said the doctor to his patient, are in terrible shape. You've got to do something about it. First, tell your wife to cook more nutritious meals. Stop working like a dog. Also, inform your wife you're going to make a budget and she has to stick to it. And have her keep the kids off your back so you can relax. Unless there are some changes in your life, you'll probably be dead in one month. Doc... The patient said, this would sound more official coming from you. Could you please call my wife and give her those instructions? The doctor said, of course. So when the fellow got home, his wife rushed to him and hugged him. I talked to the doctor, she wailed. You poor man, you only have one month to live. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then these are a little bit uh, more serious, I think. From the musings of a child through the years. I appreciate these because my father has uh, been gone for 35 years this year. At four years old, my dad can do anything. At seven years old, my dad knows a lot, a whole lot. At nine years old, my dad doesn't quite know everything. Twelve years old, oh, well, naturally, dad doesn't know that either. Fourteen, my dad is so out of touch with reality. Sixteen, my dad just doesn't get me at all. Twenty, my dad is so hopelessly old-fashioned. Twenty-five, dad knows a little about it, but not much. Thirty, I may ask dad what he thinks about it. Thirty-five, before we decide, let's get dad's opinion. Forty-five, I wonder what dad will think about this. Fifty-five, my dad knows something about literally everything. Sixty-five, I wish I could talk it over with dad just once more. Happy Father's Day. Sometimes we think of our parents as bigger than they are, sometimes smaller than they are. Hopefully over time, as we just saw, we develop a fair appreciation of their abilities and limitations. But what about when we consider how we feel about God? As Sean shared as we gathered around the table, remembering the great gift our heavenly Father gave and His own Son. How do we really feel about God? We're going through the Ten Commandments this summer in a series entitled The Ten Questions. And the second of the Ten Commandments asks the question, how big is your God? How big is your God? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 is the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. And then verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image. In the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." The second of the Ten Commandments asks the question, how big is your God? Commandment number one, as we saw last week, was this, put God first. Put God first. If you, haven't, if you weren't here for that message, haven't heard it, I hope you'll watch it. It's on our website, westerwin.com. Put God first. Who is your God? That was the question we asked last week. Who is your God? Our shepherd, Ken Culpepper, shared with us during our prayer time this morning, please, God, help us. Help us because we see you as our God above all others. Help us as we proclaim the Lord is our God. Who is your God? But today, commandment number two is this, don't sell God short. Don't sell God short. 
You see, the first commandment talks about who your God is. The second commandment asks the question, how big is that God that you serve? Even if he is the one true and living God, how big is he in your mind? And as you look at your life, how big is your God? Is he big enough to handle the things that you're confronting, the the things our world is confronting? Is he able to accomplish what concerns you today? Even if you serve the living God, the one true and living God, the creator God, the savior God, do you believe that he is big enough to handle what concerns you today, to accomplish what faces you, the burdens, the cares, the hurts, the sins, the fears? Don't sell God short. How big is your God? Don't accept a lesser God, and don't underestimate the real God. The first commandment calls us to worship the true commandment, the true God. The second commandment calls us not to sell even the true God short. And so a few things about how big our God truly is. First of all, God is bigger than any temple. God is bigger than any temple. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6 is this marvelous, wonderful, incredible time when under the leadership of David first and then after his passing, King Solomon really coordinates and builds the temple of the Lord. And now it's all been done. It's all ready. The ark is going to come in there. And, and so it's time to dedicate this wonderful, marvelous temple in Jerusalem. And this prayer is amazing as Solomon prays it. But I want us to read starting in Second Chronicles 6, verse 18. Solomon says, but will God really dwell on earth with humans? (laughs) The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built. Yet, Lord my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night. This place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. You see, Solomon gets it. He gets it. As magnificent and incredible with all the gold and silver and bronze everywhere... Still, Solomon was aware that even this magnificent temple could not house God. (laughs) Of course not. God is so much bigger than this temple. God is so much more valuable than this temple. And yet, Solomon says as he prays this prayer, and yet, God, I know that you cannot be compacted into this spot. But it's where your people will recognize your presence dwells. And so... Hear us when we pray. You are so great and so awesome, and and you cannot be tied down. And yet, at the same time, we are limited in our humanity. Please, hear us when we pray towards you. Hear us. And when you hear us, forgive. God is bigger than any temple. Secondly, God is bigger than any idol. 
God is bigger than any idol. And if you've been doing your daily Bible reading, then we're into the prophets right now. And, and you're, you're, you're past the time when we have some of those great statements of, of idolatry. And we're going to see some more coming up from Isaiah and from some of the others. But one of the early ones is found in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18 is that great contest between Elijah, the prophet of God, and all of the hundreds of the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, the false gods of the people of the land. And so Elijah gives them a challenge and he calls on them to build that that altar and and pray to their God so that he'll burn it all up. And, And so as they're praying and as they continue praying, nothing happens, of course. And so Elijah has some fun in verse 27 of 1 Kings 18. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Why not? Because those were just sticks of wood there. Because the idol that they worshipped was just something some man had built. Was not God at all. And we understand that. God is bigger than any idol. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah shares something very, very similar in Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 10, Isaiah says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Was it was that, that taught him? knowledge or showed him the path of understanding. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Verse 18, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains to it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. <laughs> Isaiah says you have to nail it down so that it won't fall over. What kind of God is that? Certainly not the God who created the universe. Certainly not the God who is big enough to handle our concerns and our problems. Certainly not a God like those golden calves that the Israelites set up in the wilderness. Or that Jeroboam set up in the northern kingdom of Israel. This is why God didn't want his people to use idols even to worship him. But what about ours? We spoke some about those and listed some of them last week. Our culture can become our God. 
Certainly job and money or material things, the things money brings. Even family can become our God. Safety can become our God. Health, even church, can take the place of the living God. Most of those are all good things. They're just not very good at being God. The problem with idols, you see, is this. They limit God. Solomon in his prayer acknowledged that. Elijah and Isaiah understood that. That even if you worship the one true and living God, if you limit him to an idol, your God is not big enough. You have to nail him down so he won't topple over. That's no God. Thirdly today, God is bigger than the universe. God is bigger than the universe. This incredible passage in the last half of Isaiah 40 starts with verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Verse 25, God asked, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That is how big our God is. Bigger than the biggest among us, bigger than the strongest among us. You look at the leaders of our land and the leaders of other lands and you say they're nothing compared to the leader of the universe. The God who allows them to stay and one day will Send them off just as he does every other leader in the nations of this world that has ever reigned and led. God is bigger than the universe. He created it. He created it. Jesus came and he calmed the seas and he calmed the wind and he calmed the storm. and, And it scared them to death. That's how big our God is. I want a God that is bigger than I am. I need a God that is bigger than I am. And so do you. I don't need a God that I can understand completely. I don't need a God that I never have questions about. It's been said that when we pray to God and we expect him to fulfill our desires and we want him to and it's right to pray. I've heard it said, I think from Tim Keller, that that God will answer us our prayers as we would answer our prayers ourselves if we knew everything that God knows. 
Our God is big enough to know everything that's ever happened and ever will happen. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And he loves us still. So much so that he gave his son on that old rugged cross. I need a God like that. I need a God that's much bigger than I am. I need a God that I don't understand because when I look in the mirror, that guy can't handle the things that I need handled. That guy can't deal with the things that are urgent and caring on my heart today. I need a God that's much bigger than that. And I have to remember that I'm not going to understand that God all the time. And I'm going to be okay with that. Because we live by faith, not by sight. You've heard me say many times, many of you could probably complete what I'm about to say. I've come to learn two things about God. Do you remember what they are? Number one, God exists. I believe that. And number two, I'm not him. I'm not him. God is bigger than any temple. God is bigger than any idol. God is bigger than the universe. How big is your God is another way of asking, how big is your faith? How big is your God? Another way of asking, how big is your faith? Last week when we had the little kids up here, we sang, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Do you believe that? Do you truly, truly believe that? Do you trust in a God that big? Do you have a faith that big? As we close today, I want to read a couple of great, great scripture passages. One from the end of Romans 11 and one from Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our God is able. He is able to do everything to accomplish his purpose Today And so three things as we close. God is big enough to handle my hurts. Whatever they are, God is big enough to handle them. He knows about them. He cares about them because he cares about you. How big is your God? God is big enough to handle my hurts. Secondly, God is big enough to handle my fears. And we all have them. But our God is big enough to handle them. He won't maybe make them go away, (laughs) but he'll just supply the power and the faith and the trust that we need to get through them. God is big enough to handle my hurts. God is big enough to handle my fears. God is big enough to handle my sins. Is your God that big? Because the living God is... So much so that he 
shed his son's blood on the cross to provide that justification in spite of our sins. How big is your God? God is big enough to handle my hurts. He's big enough to handle my fears and he's big enough to handle my sins. He is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns you today. He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes your way. He is able, more than able, to do much more than you could ever ask or imagine or dream. He is able. Our God is big enough to make you what he wants you to be. If we can help make that happen, come as we stand. Sing this great song together.